Hello, and welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. I'm pretty excited today because I have another great guest for you. Her name is Dr. Patty Weider, and she's doing some really interesting things with the well-being of leaders. Dr. Weider is a dynamic executive coach who aims to create and sustain work environments that maximize human potential. Patty integrates her training as a clinical health psychologist into her, into her consulting approach by expertly blending the biological, psychological, and social aspects of leader and organizational behavior to drive chain and sustainable results, all grounded in science. She's also president of the Kentucky Psychological Association and owns Shine Psychology, where she provides numerous services, including coaching, consulting, and speaking. Patty has three young daughters and finds meaning in coaching others, in, in coaching other working moms to help them navigate alignment in their careers and home life. Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here with you. I've, I've been listening to the podcast and excited to, to have a turn to speak with you. Patty, I, I really appreciate that because I know you also are uh, um, a guest, a host on your own podcast show. But before we jump into any of these, I always want to start by asking, how did you end up in the world of business? So it's kind of been a winding road. Um, I, my interest started in psychology and in the frame of healthcare. I have uh, nurses in my family, was mm -hmm. interested in um, being able to help people in some way. And so my training started in clinical psychology. Really, I was just drawn to human behavior and understanding people. But over time, once I was out and working within systems, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I was finding myself interested in the ways that I could impact the system to better serve larger groups of people. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I've had clinical aspects to what I've done in my career, but I've always had the majority of my work being in applied psychology. And, uh, you know, over time doing consulting, doing a lot of work with teams and process improvement and things like that, it has led me into the world of business. Mm -hmm. um, not because I thought that's where I need to be initially, but because it's it's interested me and it's sort of been an organic journey to find ways to apply what I've learned in that sector. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting uh, story and an interesting time timeline that you're describing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to jump right into the work that you do because mm -hmm. I, I love holistic approaches. And so I, I want to know more about how you do this work and, and combine psychological, biological, and social to help leaders. Tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah. So my, my background is in health psychology. And that's really, you know, understanding the body, the brain, mm -hmm. your, you know, internal systems and understanding what's going on with not only dysfunction, things like, uh, you know, a diagnosis of diabetes, heart disease, brain yeah. injury, something like that but also understanding um, how you can thrive when health behaviors and um, the impact of you know, psychological intervention allow a person to maximize their well-being. Mm -hmm. um, so combining together 
aspects of what I know from my training as a health psychology, aspects from what I know uh, in the study of positive psychology, mm -hmm. um, how do we go beyond baseline? I find the workplace to be a setting to apply those same things that I've applied in the past throughout my career at individual and group levels. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have um, uh, all kinds of experiences working with folks on changing health behaviors, mm. um, you know, really working on that aspect of influencing their physical biological systems because mm -hmm. they are stopping using tobacco or mm -hmm. practicing mindfulness in the frame of chronic pain or, um, you know, engaging in exercise as a way to manage stress. So mm -hmm. all of these kind of overlapping aspects of psychology and influencing your biological system yeah. um, in ways that we can control. And, and the social aspect is such a critical component of that. So, all kinds of work in the field of positive psychology points to connection to other people mm -hmm. as an important aspect of our well-being mm -hmm. and being able to weave this in with the um, you know understanding of workplace well-being is 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 the underlying foundation of how do we work together as humans? You know, yeah. in, in a workplace, we are connecting all the time with people. Are we doing that intentionally in a way that's a high quality connection or mm -hmm. are we, you know, focused on the work, but not the relationship? Um, and so it, what I like to do is really gain an understanding anytime I'm engaging with you know, a new individual, a team, a, um, an organization, you know, what's going well, yeah. what is it that allows them to do what they're doing to this point to achieve success, whatever accomplishments that they are proud of. And where can we look at ways we could tweak the system, um, to uplift the well-being of people, to, um, inspire compassion towards, you know, the individuals for themselves and, mm -hmm. and in the relationships they have with each other and then challenge the status quo over time to get to an optimal functioning and um, not only a workplace where you can achieve and, you know, whatever the, the business model is, mm -hmm. but also a place that can contribute to the well-being of the people that work there, mm -hmm. uplift them. Um, you know, that that's really what draws me to working in the field of business and applying psychology is being able to have a large scale impact. Um, we spend a lot of hours of the day at work. Yeah. So if we, can, if we can uplift people there, that that's a way that we can uplift, you know, our population um, at scale. Yeah. I really appreciate what you're saying and, and your approach here, because you're really talking about uh, leveraging all the different aspects, all the different tools that you have to try to make sure that, that, that people are, are, feeling well at, at at work and are engaging well right you're talking about the psychological the biological the social you're leveraging all the tools there to make sure that uh, people can work effectively and efficiently mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about why it's really important for leaders specifically to really focus on well-being well you know there are business elements to it so mm -hmm. um you know there is research that aligns uh performance in the stock market for a business with um ratings of the well-being of their employees so mm -hmm. 
we know that you know you can look at a lot of different ways that we slice the information, but well-being of employees is going to contribute to better business success. Mm-hmm. But, uh, aside from that, you know, dollars and cents aspect of um, you know contributing to employees' engagement, um, retaining great employees, being able to um, you know really drive the speed of results when mm-hmm. we have great relationships at work, when we when people are highly engaged and motivated. All of these things are are not only uplifting the the impact of the business, but mm-hmm. also it, it's a synergistic sort of um, environment where you get more out of everyone mm-hmm. when the dynamics between them are working well. Um, and when they are physically well, when they are mentally well, spiritually well, all of those things are going to allow them to be even more impactful in whatever the work is that they are doing. Um, so it's a mutual benefit, mm-hmm. you know, it benefits leaders um, for their own prevention of burnout, for their own sense of uh, eudaimonia, you know, accomplishment, meaning in their life. Yeah. Um, all of those underlying things that will say, you know, once you retire, if you look back on your career, what do you think about it? Hopefully you have this sense of um, accomplishment that goes beyond, um, you know, a metric that maybe is important today, this year, Mm -hmm. but over the grand scheme, you know, this sense of meaning. Um, So, so that is going to more clearly define the sense of purpose for the leader Mm -hmm. that helps them to maintain their drive, that helps them to inspire their employees, that helps them to um, be able to create a culture where people want to be. Uh, So all of these things are are benefiting the leader as an individual, benefiting the business, benefiting Mm -hmm. the employees. Um, and, And aside from, you know, again, that that impact in the workplace, it goes beyond. So when Mm -hmm. people are well at work, that contributes to their well-being outside of work. When they leave and go back to their family or, you know, their friends, their communities. Right. We are impacting the largest part of their day. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think the altruistic aspects that draw me to this work are that we can uplift society at large when we at scale are able to improve people's well-being because of the places that they spend most of their time. Um, but we know that it also has, you know, the um, fiscal benefits that make sense to contribute some of, you know, our attention on this. Um, because, you know, I know that there's a balance when we're considering how do we spend our dollars? How do we right. you know, um, make sure that we are um, being strategic, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it really meets both of those demands. Yeah, so I'm hearing that it has well-being has a global impact. You know, mm-hmm. thinking of it from in terms of all the things that it can it can impact in terms of uh, our home life and our societies, but it also has that that benefit in terms of uh, the financial aspect, right? Because the the when a person is well, physically, ment- mentally, emotionally, and are in social environments that promote wellness. 
then they're more likely to feel fulfilled and engaged in their workplace and you're more likely to get more out of them. Is my, yeah. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, I mean, I think we can all think about when we've worked in a place where we felt like we uh, got to use our strengths at work. Mm-hmm. We were able to have an impact on the work and improving the work over time. Yeah, yeah. We felt like we mattered to the team. We had a sense of belonging. We have a, a sense of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, even in those little one minute connections, maybe we have, if we're passing someone in a hall, if we're having a quick phone call, all of those add up over time mm-hmm. uh, and contribute to our well being. But all of those elements, if we can craft them in a way where they really serve the individual and serve the organization, mm-hmm. the tasks of the work, the connections to people in the workplace, yeah. and the way that they understand their sense of purpose and contribution. All of those can um, build momentum to, you know, use the best of who we have together with us, Um, you know, have have people using their strengths and um, maximizing their potential rather than saying this is the box we need to fit you in. This Mm -hmm. is what I want you to do. You know, that sort of command and control. Go execute the tasks I tell you to execute. Yeah more transactional leadership. Um, so this is, you know, it, it is um, aligned to more of a humble leadership approach where, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm asking everyone at work to use their strengths, that's also inherently identifying that we're not great at everything. Right. So, you know, for every person in the workplace, we have to have this humble, um, you know, idea of how do we understand our strengths and mm-hmm. and the things where maybe I could defer to the expertise of someone else, um, allow them to use something that they're really good at in the workplace. So, um, you know, I think it's it's an approach that maybe some people are uncomfortable with at times mm-hmm. if they really like to have control of everything. Um, however, we we have evidence that supports humble open types of dialogue that allow teams to be able to go beyond um, what we can accomplish in a in a transactional model where they're executing exactly what they're told to do we want them critical thinking we want right them right yeah. can you Patty, can you can you share with us some of those examples and where you've seen this works i think one of the things that I always hear is, yeah, that sounds good, but I don't know how that I would make that happen. Can you share some of that ex- yeah, examples of that? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've done a lot of work um, in healthcare. Uh, and so I think of teams that I've worked with over the years and mm-hmm. some that when I began working with them would describe themselves as dysfunctional. We are mm-hmm. not, um, they, they are identifying maybe, you know, technically maybe. So I, I think for a specific example, um, a team of surgeons and all of the other people that contribute to making surgeries happen. Um, They, they reached out because of difficulty communicating with each other and feeling like they were putting themselves at risk, you know, of something going wrong over time because this communication is, is just not working. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're bumping heads. When I got in and I'm working with them and, and, you know, starting out in a compassionate, humble way myself to say, I want to understand this situation. Um, 
it, it starts to build a relationship where people can share in a, a more vulnerable way about, you know, what is going well and, and, and then where do we see um, we're not utilizing our strengths. Mm-hmm. With the team that I'm thinking of and that I have in mind, all of the people that seem to be most passionate are those people that were bumping heads. They all wanted to execute, to be able to serve their patients in a mm-hmm. way where they provided the best quality care. They yes. all wanted that. Um, however, the ways they interacted with each other led them to feel like they're getting in each other's way. And so creating spaces with them where we were able to not only have um, a, a sense of shared gratitude for who on the team contributes in different ways. You know, um, I, I was able with a with one small team that was struggling, um, I was able to help them go through a process of identifying why are you grateful for this person on the team? Hmm. This person you butt heads with, what do they bring that you are grateful for? Mm-hmm. And all of them could identify something that that person is either an expert in, that they do, that nobody else does, yeah. that they contribute to whatever process. And they could identify that sense of shared mission. They know mm-hmm. this person actually, you know, wants to serve the patient. Yeah. Um, and so over time, you know, being able to start from that space of of um, appreciating each other and building mm-hmm. that connection and relationship as the foundation, then we can start to challenge, well, what are the modalities of communication we're using? What's not working? How do we, you know, disrupt the status quo so that we can get to a place of better functioning? And, and we're able to really craft that and, again, identify the um, you know the strengths we have on the team, mm-hmm. leverage those. Um, but it it really takes um, openness to trying something new, and also a leader who is willing to admit their own fallibility. If 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 maybe they you know recognize that there are parts of um, the the current state that they could change about yeah. themselves. Um, and so, I think that's impressive that you're able to do that with with surgeons. I mean, I, I've done some work yeah. with with physicians and surgeons, and they're not the easiest group to get them to admit that they're fallible. So that's yeah. that's a really great example. Yeah, I think you know context is so important, and how I, so many times I've had to say yes in a surgery suite. I don't want you to be you know taking the risks. However. In this setting of communicating with each other, we can take some risks right now mm-hmm. so that we have lower risk in that surgery suite later so that yeah. we're able to improve our process. Um, but but it is a challenge sometimes, whether it be surgeons or someone who's in an executive role who feels like I, I, I've got to know all the answers and, and everyone has to trust that I'm pointing us in the right direction. You know, there are there are situations people get into where their heart is in the right place. They are really Mm -hmm. trying their best to help the system, help the customer that they're serving, whatever, you know, but they, um, they go about doing so in a way that is um, rigid. And Mm -hmm. and that typically 
um, then shuts down relationships or shuts down um, process improvement. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think it's 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 important to be open to um, having some honest conversations, mm-hmm. being able to get to the heart of what's going on more quickly, so that we can challenge the actual everyday rituals that lead to whatever yeah. isn't working, you know? And um, if you're using that unique perspective of the, the psychological, the biological and the social, you can really get them to think about, you know, what they're thinking, how they're feeling and how that's impacting other people as well. I love, I love yeah. that approach. Yeah. You know, I like to use appreciative inquiry. That is, you know, I think a humble approach where we're able to start with, um, you know, what, what strengths we have. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, I, assess emotional intelligence and I can talk about emotional intelligence, but one element of that is the the self-awareness of understanding Mm. what's happening inside. What are my thoughts, emotions, physical experiences? And I think, you know, for a frontline employee, it can contribute to a sense of what's in it for me to change. Why do, why would I want to change the way things are right now? When we can align to their individual sense of well-being, mm-hmm. preventing burnout for them as an individual, most people would say, "Well, yeah, I want to feel better. I want to come to work every day and have a different experience." Yeah, you know, I want to um, be able to have a sense of invigoration from work and not drain from work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, having an approach that invites dialogue from all different, you know, levels of, um, you know, frontline employee, executive leadership that, that can, you know, humanize the workplace. We are all just humans interacting with each other, trying to, you know, accomplish some shared goals. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned this, this all helps leaders have greater self-awareness. I know you also do some work with leader identity development, right? And I think that also includes some self-awareness. Talk to us a little bit about why that's important. Why is that important for a leader to have? You know, um, I actually was just talking to my my good friend, Dr. Mira Bronku earlier about leader identity. And sometimes we compartmentalize aspects of ourselves. You know, I have intersectional identities. I mm-hmm. have all these different parts of me that contribute to who I am. And maybe some of the messages that I get, whether it be in society, in an organization that I'm embedded within, might tell me that a leader has to be like this. Right. But what happens if that doesn't align with maybe the other messages I'm getting about what I have to be because I'm a woman or Mm -hmm. what I have to be because of my age or what Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be. For me, I talk a lot about being a working mom. Mm -hmm. How can I interweave what I know about bringing the best of myself and my strengths and what I'm learning about all these different aspects of my identity into a leadership role rather than trying to mold myself into some other idea of what I see as leadership or what I hear about what leaders have to be? Yeah. How do you be authentic? Yeah. Sometimes we're even getting conflicting messages about, um, you know, you have to be decisive and strong and um, you have to be the one who um, moves with authority. You're assertive. Mm -hmm. 
maybe I'm getting those messages, but then when I am being assertive, I'm also being told that I shouldn't do that or I should, you know, I come across this way or that way that is um, not effective. And, and that, you know, that is an impact of systems that mm-hmm. might judge different individuals differently doing the exact same things. And so a lot of times that can have an individual confused, um, sometimes internalizing that something is wrong with them, that, mm-hmm. you know, we hear imposter syndrome. Usually that's a sign that there is a systemic impact on that individual, not necessarily just that this individual is not confident. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's important when we understand someone aspiring to be a leader, how do we help them authentically engage with people, mm-hmm. um, figure out what those individuals need to be able to succeed at work and and how they can contribute to the system serving themselves and the, you know, the people that they are leading, mm-hmm. um, that they don't necessarily have to change who they are, you know, completely switch who I am when I walk into the workplace from who I am, you know, on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, obviously, we have some boundaries and, you know, we have some some things that are important about a workplace setting that are different than maybe how we interact with other people in our lives. But at the end of the day, if you feel like you are, um having to like fake it till you make it, mm. there's there's a conflict there. You're going to have this um, incongruence that is draining. Mm-hmm. Well, Patty, that's, that's, that's really cool hearing the work that you're doing. And I know you also do workshops and have keynotes. Mm-hmm. How do people get a hold of you if they want to uh, you know, engage your services? The best way is really to connect on LinkedIn. I have, I'm pretty active there and um, people can, you know, hear about the latest of what's going on mm-hmm. um, and, you know, send me a message. Um, so just connecting with, you know, Patty Wider on LinkedIn. Uh, I also have a webpage, pattywider.com. Um, but, you know, whichever way you find me, um, I am responsive and love connecting with people. So, uh Thank you. Whatever Patty. that leads to. <laughs> Excellent. And then I always like to take advantage of the great guests that we have, you know, some free advice. So what what tips or suggestions would you have for leaders out there in this environment right now? Hmm. I think it's important for leaders to understand the importance of agility in the the place we are now with with workplaces, with changes in technology, you know, um, the future of use of AI, changes in the um, demographics of our workforce, all, mm-hmm. all these changes, we know they're coming. Yeah. We, you know, it's, it's not coming out of nowhere. Uh, and so if we know that we are working in a time where there's going to be a constant shift and um, uncertainty, mm-hmm. that being able to have a um, structure supporting your well-being and and allowing you to be agile and resilient, mm-hmm. then you're preparing yourself for all those things that we see to come. Your mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't have to have all the answers, but we want you to feel prepared to, you know, ride the rapids that are, you know, the workplace of today mm-hmm. um, versus, you know, feeling like, I can, um, 
I can take what I've, you know, learned in the past and what other people have said, and and that's always going to apply in future states. Um, yeah. We know that that so many things are rapidly changing that we have to be agile and um, and prepared to maintain our drive and um, our our sense of purpose over time. Yeah, I, I love that advice. I mean, I think we're, you're talking about looking ahead a little bit, right? And and preparing, right? Building up your resilience and, and increasing your agility so that you can adapt and, and make changes to some of the things we can see and some of the things that we, we don't see coming ahead. So I think that's that's great advice for, for any leader in an organization. Yeah. Well, Patty, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure. We're definitely going to have to come back because I really want to hear more about you know the integration of psychological, biological, and social. I love any integration. So we're definitely going to have to have you come back and go deeper into that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And to our audience, thanks for listening. I hope you will join us next time.